Well, good morning. And uh, for those that may not know, my name is Brian Robertson, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And I'm very glad to have you worship alongside us as we gather in the name of Jesus, as we do every weekend, to be reminded of who God is and who we are and what God may be calling us into. And I want to just uh, draw your attention to this little visual reminder that we have up here. This is going to stay up here uh, the whole summer long. And as Pastor Jake told us last time, they're not gumballs. uh, They're actually little marbles, so don't try and eat them. But because uh, that would be bad. But uh, each marble, each color represents a different uh, generation, a different kind of age gathering. And we want this to be a reminder of the kind of church that we want us to become, the kind of church that is uh, cross-generational, that embraces uh, all across the generations. And we have relationships with one another where we are one church family. Um, so this summer, we're going to do a few things to that end. First of all, we're going to have just the, the visual reminder in front of us, but we're also inviting the children to be a part of our worship time for a longer period, uh, for most of the service, actually, um, so that they can be a part of us and we can see them and we can be a part of their story. But also, we're going to have a time of blessing. As Pastor Jason said, we're in the starting aspect of this series uh, that we're calling Abraham. Uh, We're going to look after the life of Abraham and what his journey may teach us. And the role of blessing plays a significant role in the uh, Older Testament and the life of people. Abraham receives a blessing and then he blesses his children. There's a generational blessing that happens. uh, And it's extremely important uh, to receive a blessing and to be able to be someone who blesses. So we're going to have a moment during our services where where we bless one another. Uh, and so uh, they we're going to come in this point of the service and they're going to have three different kinds of kind of age brackets, if you will, the children among us. And so we want to let you know that we are not only grateful for you, but we're glad to have you worshiping alongside us. And then young people, teenagers, young adults, adolescents, we want to recognize you and have a blessing for you as well. And then those of us who are adults, uh, though we may act like teenagers, we're adults actually. And so there's a blessing that we have for us as well. And so we're going to do that throughout this series, throughout the summer, to recognize the intergenerational connectedness um, that this would represent our church family and our lives individually as as individual families as well, and that we may receive these blessings over us. It's going to be a, a responsive blessing. So what I'm going to invite you to do during these times, uh, it may be me leading it or someone else in the church leading these blessings, but what I'm going to invite you to do during these times is to to physically receive them by just opening your hands up, palm face up like this. Just kind of relax them, put them on your lap or whatever. Just kind of hold them like this. And then when I'm going to say a blessing over each one of these age groups, the children, the young people, and the adults. And at the end of the blessing, I will say, may the peace of Christ be with you all. And then you as a congregation can respond with, and also with you. So it's a responsive, communal blessing that we uh, bless each other and we receive this blessing to go. Hope that makes sense. So if you would uh, kind of get yourself ready, put your arms and hands face up like this, and receive this blessing. Children, may you know that you are loved and that we count it a blessing to have you in our families and in our church family. Young people, may the Lord lead and guide you. And may you find that a life devoted to Jesus is abundant and worth it. Adults, may we be receptive to the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead a life worthy of our calling. And may the peace of Christ be with you all. Great. Children, you are dismissed now. Thanks for being a part. 
Well, as I had just mentioned, we're in this beginning weeks of starting this new series on uh, Abraham. And a few weeks ago, we finished a series on the life of Jesus, where we looked at, uh, especially through the Gospel of Mark, and what it looked like to uh, understand who Jesus was, this person of Jesus. And we thought it would be good to follow that up with an aspect of what it looks like to follow in faith, to be someone who's increasingly learning to live by faith. And we're going to do that uh, by looking at the person of Abraham. We're going to look at the, the way in which he journeyed in faith and the way in which he kind of set an example for us to what it looks like to be a person of increasing faith in, in God. But to kind of start us off this, this week, I have a, the job to kind of set the stage and kind of understand what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks and kind of set the, the tone of what's happening and kind of get us ready to study this life of Abraham. So with that in mind, I want to remind us that the Bible starts off with God creating, that God speaks things into existence, that he holds it together, and we have been created to enjoy a deep, robust, vibrant relationship with our creator God and with other people, and with the created world around us. But it didn't take very long before things kind of went bad, and people were corrupt with power and jealousy and immorality. And while we were created to enjoy this deep fellowship with God and with other people and the created world around us, the bond was broken, and humanity was lost. But because the nature of God is love, And because a core aspect of who God is love, and love never gives up, but love always hopes and always perseveres, right at the very beginning, God initiates a plan to restore the world, to heal the brokenness, to establish a right relationship, a right environment where people can flourish and the relationships can once again flourish. And that plan would begin with a man who would be the kind of model recipient of God's abundant grace and God's love and God's redemption. And God would use this man to establish a unique nation and that through whom, through this nation, all the world would be blessed and they would return to worship and understand right relationship with their creator God. And they would learn to experience the life that we've been created to live in the beginning. And we know this person, this man, by the name of Abraham. But God changed Abraham's name at a critical point in his life. For the first 99 years, Abraham was known as Abram. And while we have each uh, each of us have a unique, particular kind of faith journey, which is unique to us, our stories are kind of our own stories, Abraham blazed a, a trail for the rest of his life to lead a life of faith, of deep faith. And Abraham's life has much to teach us. Wherever you are in your spiritual life with God, whether you find yourself to be a skeptic or a seeker or you are a follower of Christ, the life of Abraham has much to teach us for anyone who wants to know what it looks like to have a a relationship with their creator God. Abraham's life has much to teach us. And we're going to navigate through his story this summer. But as we start this, I want to encourage us to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. To not just simply hear the stories or just kind of see what's going on, but to really put ourselves in Abraham's shoes and understand what it must have been like and to see what God may be telling us or where he may be directing us along the way. But before we kind of get jumped into his story altogether, I want to kind of lay out three guiding principles that will guide us through the summer. Just three kind of things that kind of help us understand how we're going to look at Abraham's life. 
And the first is that faith builds on the truth that God not only exists, but that God is actively involved in creation. That God not only exists, but he is actively involved in creation. See, God didn't simply uh, create the world, spin it, and just kind of sit back and wait to see what's going to happen and what, f- where things fall, where it may, and that sort of thing. But God has been actively involved in his creation all the time, all around us. That God is present and that God is active. And the second guiding principle is that God has a, a, a uh, God desires a loving relationship with you and that he has been active in your personal life from the very beginning. That God has been active in your life, even when you didn't recognize him, even when you didn't see him, even when you're far away from him, God has been active in your story and in your life from the very beginning. And the third last kind of guiding principle that kind of goes with this is that God has a plan for you. And that plan includes blessings that are greater than you can ever imagine or dream. That God has a plan for you and for your life. And it includes a blessing that is far greater than you can ever imagine or dream. Fair enough, those are the three kind of guiding principles. That God is active in this creative world. He didn't just sit back and set in motion, but he's active And he is active in your life personally. And he's been active from the very beginning. And he has a plan for your life that includes blessings that far outweigh whatever difficulty or turmoil or ups and downs your journey may have. And that you might learn to increasingly live by faith in him. And in trust and in confidence in his good plan for you. I hope you believe this. I hope you understand this. And I hope that as we journey with Abraham through his life, through this summer, as we kind of understand more and more that we might be encouraged to know this one true creator God who deeply desires relationship with us and that we might understand life with him as best we possibly can. We're going to pick up uh, Abraham's story right at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12. And we kind of see what's going on here. And Abraham Uh, is called by God. And this is what uh, the recording, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills of east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are humbled and in awe that you would be active in our life, that you would be around us and that you would draw us, nudge us, and 
invite us to this faithful relationship with you. May we find you to be good, and may we find you to be faithful to us as we seek after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, right at the beginning here of this series, I want to remind us that Abraham was an ordinary guy. The Bible describes uh, people and they give a biology or a biology, biography of their life and they're really real and authentic and they don't paint over all the nastiness. And we're going to get to some of that stuff in Abraham's life as we get through the summer. But he's an ordinary guy in his society. And he lived in Mesopotamia and he wasn't really much different than all the other people in his kind of circle of friends, his relatives and the people around. And the people in ancient Mesopotamia worshipped a, a, a myriad of mythical gods. And they had all these various temples and, and rites of passage and rites of worship that they would give. And like, like Abraham's relatives, all the, the kind of stuff we understand that he w- was one of these people too. That he worshipped these idols and these gods and he accepted this mythology as truth. It's really doubtful that God, that Abraham had ever had any kind of interaction or heard from the one true creator God before this encounter that we see here. So Abraham is just an ordinary guy living in a pagan society that is worshipping false gods and idols all around. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, speaks to him and calls him to a new life. So why Abraham? I mean, if Abraham is anything special, if he's just an ordinary guy in his society, in this pagan society, worshiping all these false, why Abraham? And here I just want to say that God's choosing of Abraham was a pure act of grace. And reasons only known in heaven, God chooses Abraham to be the leader and the father of this people. Because God uh, appeared to an ignorant, sinful superstitious, idol-worshiping guy. And he tells him to leave that family, leave that country, and to go to a place where the one true God will show him. And then he would bring him to this place and make him to a new family and a new nation. And all families on the earth would be blessed through him. And in this interaction, Abraham displays and demonstrates remarkable faith or trust And he literally embarks on a journey with no promise of safety or security or anything else. He only has the promise of God's blessing with him. And so Abraham goes. He leaves. And he sets out on this journey. And he begins to experience the blessings from God. And the scriptures tell us that he brings his wife Sarai with him and his nephew Lot. Which, by the way, is a testimony for their trust in Abraham. For all what we understand in the scriptures, God had not revealed himself to Sarai or to Lot, but they responded to the call and they came too. They came with him. So as we begin this understanding of Abraham's life, again, put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the, what's going on in the scriptures here. Imagine yourself, you're Abraham, and you have this revelation from God, this one true creator God, and he speaks clearly to you, and you have a, a clear sense of his leading, and it's going to take you out of your comfort zone, away from all that you know, and then you go to your family and you say, we're going to leave everything. We're going to leave everything behind. Imagine those conversations behind closed doors between Abraham and Sarai. Imagine what they're talking about. Imagine what happens. And now imagine what it does to your soul to have those who are closest to you believe in you and trust you enough to go with you on this crazy wild adventure that you're going to go on 
Can you imagine what it did to Abraham's soul to have his wife encourage him in that way and to say, I will go with you and I will follow. Not knowing where you're going to go, but can you imagine the intense encouragement that happened and washed over Abraham's soul by his wife saying yes to traveling with him, to trusting enough in Abraham that he was going to lead them in a way that would be protected. Can you imagine that? Well, see, as they travel, God's covenant with Abraham, his promise to Abraham was confirmed. And throughout this little story here, this little beginning, Abraham builds altars to worship the Lord. And altars would have stood as a symbol, as a reminder to all of Israel for generations to come that Abraham's faith was no longer in the myriad of these mythical gods, these idols that he was leaving, but his new faith was going to be found in the one true living creator God. And while our journeys may be different, while yours and mine may be different, and Abraham's for sure is different, there's much we can learn about how we can pursue God with faithfulness by looking at Abraham's response to God's call. Looking at Abraham's response to the way in which God leads him out to follow him. So the first thing I want us to notice in this part of Abraham's story is that God doesn't expect us to expect doesn't expect us to exhibit perfect faith and perfect obedience immediately. But God meets us where we are and he gently walks with us to cultivate a more mature faith along the way. God doesn't expect perfect obedience and faithfulness immediately out of the gate, but he comes with us as well. See, Genesis 12 starts with Abraham's story at the very beginning, his faith, and he hears the call from God, and he responds. But there's something we can't ignore. We can't just brush past this. See, Abraham was 75 years old when he got the call. Sarai was in her mid-60s when they left everything. Side note here, for some of us that may be keeping track of things, no matter how old you are, no matter how much you may think your time is done, God may still indeed have something for you to do. God may still indeed have something for you to grow in his grace and learn to still increasingly trust him, no matter how long you have been around. That God may indeed have something for you. For those of you who are thinking that God only calls the young people to radical steps of faith, maybe Abraham can help us think again about what that looks like. And here's the point of all this. God made the promise to Abraham that when he goes, that he will bless him to become a nation. That Abraham and Sarai had to wait for 25 years before it all came to fruition. And whenever Abraham's confidence began to waver and began to kind of go down, not really sure, God shows up again and reaffirms his promise and his covenant, his unconditional promise here. God doesn't expect perfect faith and obedience immediately. He continues to walk along with him and he shows up again and he confirms it and he says, no, I got you. I got you. Second thing that we notice in this first parts of Abraham's story is that every choice to follow God's leading will involve some kind of sacrifice. Every choice to follow God's leading will involve some kind of sacrifice on our behalf. On our behalf. Abraham was called to trust God and to follow his leading to wherever he would go, to step beyond his comfort zones, to leave all behind him without all the detailed information, without all the information of where you're going to go and where you're going to land, all this kind of stuff. And this is kind of important for us to grasp. 
Because in our journey with God, God rarely gives us detailed information about where we're supposed to go and who we're supposed to be with and all the various information all the way to the last T. But God always gives us sufficient information. God rarely gives us detailed all the way down to the end, but God always gives us sufficient information. And for Abraham, God's sufficient information was that he was going to be with him. Inherent in this message is that God's presence would go with him. He says, I'm going to lead you to a place and I will tell you where you are. He doesn't say, go someplace and find it out on your own, figure it all out. He says, I will be with you. And the promise of God's presence with Abraham enabled him to trust and enabled him to be faithful. Even though he doesn't have it all scripted out, even though he doesn't know all the answers, doesn't know where it's all going to lead, he does know that God will be with him in in the process. God rarely gives us all the detailed information in our life journey with him, but he always gives us sufficient. And in Abraham's case, the sufficient information was that he would be with him in the presence. And we get the same kind of notion all throughout the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. The book of Psalms, the 121st Psalm, the psalmist writes this about God's provision. He says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth he will not let your foot slip he who watches over you will not slumber indeed he who watches over israel will neither slumber nor sleep the lord watches over you the lord is your shade at your right hand the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night the lord will keep you from all harm he will watch over your life the lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore The psalmist is saying, whatever is going on, we may not have all the detailed information, but we have sufficient information that wherever we may go, the Lord will watch over us because we are his people and we walk with him. And Jesus says the same thing in the Newer Testament when he's about to leave and ascend to the Father and he's got his close friends around him and he begins to tell them about the kinds of things they were going to need to do and they were going to need to go and be about his ministry. And Matthew chapter 28 records this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, we don't have the detailed information. In our life with God, we may not have all the detailed information about how it's all going to go and what's going to happen, but we have sufficient information. And in Abraham's case, and in her case, and in my case, it is sufficient to know that God is with us, and that God will watch over us. And when God calls us, he nudges us out of our comfort zones, without all the detailed information, without understanding where it's all going to go, but with a promise of blessing and of presence. With a promise of blessing and of presence. And if I could be so bold to you this morning. When we stay in our comfort zones and we cocoon ourselves around everything that is safe and secure and comfortable for us, we run the risk of missing the blessing and the presence that God so desperately desires us to experience. See, this summer we've sent two mission teams from Crossroads out into the fields. Our Atlanta team just recently returned, and our Uganda team is right now serving in Uganda. 
And both teams have people who have heard the call of God in their life to step out away from their comfort zone, to put themselves in places that they are a little bit outside of their norm, to trust God, to trust to see what's going on. And if you have a conversation with any one of the people, both on the Atlanta team or the Uganda team, when they return, I think you will hear the same kind of theme going on, that when they step beyond themselves and beyond their comfort zones, God has a way of showing up in ways that they may not have expected, but God has a way of being faithful to his presence and his promise to bring blessing beyond your imagination. But when we stay in our comfort zones and when we stay safely protected in our secure little bubbles, we run the risk of missing the blessing and the presence of our creator God with us. We protect ourselves in our little comfort zones with with our finances, with our relationships, with our geography. But can I remind us that every choice to follow God's leading will involve some aspect of sacrifice on our, on our behalf. To nudge us beyond our comfort zone and into this wild adventure of life with God, trusting in His goodness and His faithfulness to bring blessing and presence with us where we are. So, what do you do with this? What do we do? Can I ask you where God may be leading you? What is God nudging you outside of your comfort zone, outside of your safety, security little bubble? Where is God nudging you? Where is that still small voice over the last couple of weeks just kind of nudging you to move, to do something, to act on God's behalf or to do something? And how is God nudging you to step out of your comfort zone? And how might you experience God's blessing and his presence as a result of stepping beyond yourself? to grow in an aspect in the area of generosity where you're learning to give more and more of your stuff and your money and your time and your things away for the work of God in this world. To work at reconciling a strained relationship in your life. To push beyond the safe anonymity of just coming and going here at church but learn to volunteer and get involved and be a part of a life group or Push past the the kind of facade or the stuff you just zip in and zip out and learn to be known here. Or to join in with the ministry to visit the elderly or the shut-ins or people that are forgotten, the outcasts, the marginalized in our society. Or to initiate a spiritual conversation with your neighbor or with your coworker. Where is God nudging you to step outside of who you are, to step outside of your little comfort zone? And where might God be inviting you to, to step out into a, a wild adventure of faith with God? Where he may step in and show himself to be faithful to you. To push beyond your comfort zone and to deepen your life with God. I think Abraham gives us an example of this. Well, the third thing we notice in these early stages of Abraham's journey is that God's timing is not always our timing. But God's timing is always better. God's timing is not always our timing, but God's timing is always better. Like I said earlier, Abraham and Sarai was given this promise, this uh, blessing that they would receive this land, this inheritance, and this family. And yet it would take them 25 years before they began to see some of it come to fruition. And that's a long time. It's a long time of waiting. It's a long time of learning patience. It's a long time of guessing what God's up to. And and they make some mistakes along the way. We're going to get to that as it comes. But just when we remind ourselves that God's timing is not always our timing, 
but God's timing is always better. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about waiting when he writes this. We don't like waiting, but that's when God does some of his best work on our souls. When I'm forced to wait on God's timing, I change. Sometimes I discover that my request was selfish, not a part of God's agenda at all. Other times I find that my level of maturity could not yet bear the blessing that God wanted me to enjoy. I had to grow up so that I could handle it well. Very often my circumstances needed to change or the blessing would have become a burden. I find there's lots of truth in that. And we see this, those of us who are parents, right? We see this with our children all the time. That it's good for us, it's wise for us to be discerning with how much freedom we give them uh, that they can exercise. With, because without maturity, without the growing up and maturity to handle that kind of freedom, it can be a burden rather than a blessing. Things like technology or money or time management. Things that could be wonderful blessings for them. Given at the wrong time and the wrong amount, without the right maturity, without the right timing, they can become a burden rather than a blessing. And we want our children to grow up to the point where they are indeed mature enough, where they can handle what we want to give them. We want to give them these blessings, and they can receive them as being blessings because they're ready and mature enough for it. And we don't want to add extra burdens on top of them, but we want them to enjoy it for what it can be really be. We see that for them. But what about for us? Have we grown patient? Have we grown okay with God's timing not being ours? And can I just tell you, tell us, tell me as well, that while we may not like waiting, that is when God does some of his best work on our souls to grow us to maturity, to be able to receive the blessing when it comes. See, our faith journey involves trusting and being patient with God's timing. That it may not be our timing, but his timing is always better. It's always better. So my prayer for us as we get into this Abraham story and as we travel through this story over the next few weeks, my prayer for us is that we would have courage to respond to the leading of God in our lives and that he would lead us to places that are outside of our comfort zone where we are completely dependent on him to show himself to be faithful and to be good and to have a plan to bring blessing over us. And we may live and walk this journey with patience, trusting in God's timing to be better than ours. So let me leave you with a question this morning. Where is God leading you on this adventure of faith with him? Where is God nudging you to step outside of your comfort zone on an adventure with him, to trust him? Where is God stirring? And where might you say yes to an adventure with the almighty creator, triune God? This summer, this year, this week. Where's God nudging you? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for you in our midst today. We're grateful to be able to gather in your name and in your presence to be reminded of this great adventure that you have called us to. We thank you for Abraham and for his faithful obedience to you, for his willingness to step out of his comfort zone. And may we have the same courage. And whatever you are nudging us to, God, may, you fi- may we find you to be faithful and good.
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are amazed at your wondrous grace over us. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the hearts that are receptive to you and to your leading and the ability to walk in faith. We are so grateful for your presence, grateful for your, the truth of your love for us. Father, I pray that as we walk today and this week and these weeks, months, and years to come, that we would learn to trust more and more in your good presence. That while we don't know the details, we know sufficient information that you indeed are with us. And call us to faithfulness. So, Father, I pray that as we go today, we would go in your power and in your presence and in your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning, and happy Father's Day.